Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we discuss pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, my guest is John John Williams IV, and we are discussing gay representation and high school. When you join our Patreon community, you get access to all episodes, bonus content, invitations to our monthly happy hour, and a weekly drop-in hangout session that feels more like hanging out at a coffee shop. The cost is only $15 a month. When you join, we'll even give you a shout out in one of our episodes. When we hit 100 members, there may even be a book club involved too for us book nerds. Don't wait. Join us. Become a Pop Culture Club member today. Hey friends, I just wanted to do a quick note and let you know, since this recording, John John Williams IV has left the Baltimore Sun and now works for the Baltimore Banner. You can read all of his articles still by Googling his name as he recommends in the outro, John John Williams IV. Okay, and now here we go to the show. LGBTQ plus representation in media has been a long road to get where we are today. In 2021, Professor Alfred L. Martin Jr. wrote for the Washington Post in an article titled, The Long Road to More Accurate Portrayals of Black LGBTQ People on Television, where he goes into the history of Black gay men on television. He writes, quote, representation can signal acceptance and normalcy that can be important for black queer boys and men yet the battle does not end with more or more nuanced representation for entertainment industries to truly make progress in representing black lgbtq characters they need to hire more black lgbtq people of color to work in front of and behind the cameras while creating programming that doesn't force single lgbtq characters to represent all LGBTQ experiences. Only then can conversations about LGBTQ stereotypes be firmly left in the past, end quote. But before we dive into our discussion today, I'd like to introduce you to my guest. John John Williams IV has worked for the Baltimore Sun since 2005. He currently works as a senior reporter covering diversity, equity, and inclusion through the lens of race and culture. He joined the paper as an education reporter. He joined the feature staff as a fashion reporter in 2011. His role in features expanded to covering home, food, travel, and popular culture. A proponent of diversity and inclusion, he has led the paper's diversity committee for the past three years. During that time, the committee has helped to implement a content audit, develop a diverse expert database and cultural competency style guide, and add diverse talent to the paper. Before coming to the Sun, he worked at the Times Picune. Thank you. Picune mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and the Argus Leader. He interned at the Chicago Tribune, the Detroit Free Press. Oh, I loved the Detroit Free Press yeah. and the Post Standard. He is a graduate of Howard University. Welcome to the show, John John. Thank you so very much. I know I gave you a mouthful. <laughs> hey, it's okay. It just establishes that you're an authority in what we're going to be talking about today. One. <laughs> Two, I didn't realize you'd gone to Howard. I love that. Three, I, 
we could talk forever about the Gilded Age. I know that's not yeah. this episode, but I know no, that I, we could probably talk. I have forever. to come back just for that epi- just for that show. It. I just think it's so. I love it. Um, yeah. I can't wait for the next season. And yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was on the fence of watching it, and everyone was like, "You have to watch it. You love period pieces." And then when you were talking about it in your stories on Instagram, I was like, "Okay, it's John. John approved. I'm going in." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gets like a platinum star. I I love that show. It's so, so good. And when you talk about representation, I think that, that it does it right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not like downtrodden struggle city for Black people. We know that they've had their own, that they've always had Black excellence in an elite Black um, society. So but that's a different story. You yes, see, can... it is. And one we'll bring to the airwaves soon, my friends at absolutely, home. Absolutely. That needs to be talked about more often. Mm-hmm. Okay. John, John, yes. we're going to start at the very beginning of our memories here. Mm-hmm. So I am dying to know, well, I guess I'm not really dying to know. I'm more curious to know. Do you remember the first time you saw a gay character on television or in a movie? And then absolutely. Can you expand on how that impacted you? Yep. There were there were two examples and they were both um, uh, black lesbians. Um, yeah. Um, the color purple. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. If, I mean, it's clear that there, there's a same sex, you know, yes. relationship throughout that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you can obviously see it. And then the women of Brewster place um, they had. Yep. Uh, did you ever see it? I didn't. It was fantastic. It was like an all-star cast of Black women at the time. So Oprah was in it. Yeah, Oprah was in it. Um, uh, Robin Givens was in it. Um, oh, it was Gibbons just like a... So yeah, yeah, it was It was an amazing show. And it was like a... It was a huge event. Um, and it was a... Um, uh, yeah, there was a, uh, a gay couple... Um, and I just remembered, um, it was the first time that I'd actually seen a, like a, a functioning Mm non-stereotypic, just, you know, they were, they were there, gay couple. Um, they were, obviously they were a lesbian couple and they had to deal with discrimination. Yes. But, um, at the end of the day, it was a loving relationship and it was something that I just never seen on television before. Yeah. So those were my first images that I can remember of um, gay characters in like mass media or, or just like on the bigger, the small screen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. The Color Purple, we're actually working on um, a segment where we do a book to screen comparison side by side um, and just how that adaptation holds up to the to the novel because it's such a great book and friends at home if you haven't read it Alice Walker you should really read it it's a great place to start when you're if you're trying to dive into what you know black literature and just to understand um, the importance and significance of that Alice Walker has had on our culture and our society in modern day and I think they both um, stand up um, Mm -hmm. hold up on their own yeah both of them could be you know could be without one another and still be very strong piece, you know, pieces of work. Yeah. Um, I, f- I find that both pieces in their own genres are some of the strongest offerings ever. Um, the Color Purple is one of my favorite movies of all time. And, you know, people can say, oh yeah, Steven Spielberg directed it. So it's not 
necessarily a black movie i believe it is a black movie that movie is unapologetically black it is yeah iconically black it is a i think it's my favorite piece of work from him because he's stepping out of his comfort mm-hmm. zone and um he got oprah whoopie the entire cast to really just act their asses off yeah it, i can't make it through that movie without crying at yes. least once yes and and whoopi won an award for it so no, you she, know, she, she didn't win an academy award for it I no thought, but she was nominated right what that movie uh the, the a little um pop culture um uh history here um that movie was nominated for like a record number of academy awards and didn't win one yeah that was that was why it was such a um uh, people have just been so outraged over it. It's probably one of the biggest snubs in Academy Award history. No one from that movie won in a, a single Academy Award. Plenty of nominations, yeah. but not one win. Not so one when win. we say things like, y'all got a problem, the Academy Awards, we're talking, you know, it goes deep because people forget. They only think oh, yeah. recent history, but people forget. It goes deep, the problems oh. that the Academy has. Oh, the Gone with the Wind. Um, yeah. Uh, where you know, uh, they had to, um, they basically had to rally or just protest or fight for Hattie McDaniel to even be allowed into the mm-hmm. awards in which she won. Yep. Um, yeah, it, don't get me started. Yeah, that's also <laughs> a whole other episode. <laughs> I'm seeing a, an entire season just of us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Because yep. it's hard. It's hard sometimes for me because I live in the dual world of being mixed. So there's yep. like things about Black television, Black culture that I'm just like, oh, I love these. But I don't always have a network of people to talk to about them. So that yeah. sometimes can feel really lonely. Um, and and sometimes I don't know it's just I I think I've told this story on the show before in my grad school I was taking black I think they called it black literary tradition at the school I went to and we had to read beloved because that's just a standard right I was in a group with all white women which is fine whatever but we're talking about what the book means and in the themes and just the feelings of the characters and just really getting into it and all of them were just very judgmental about my analysis and I was mm. like, no, but like, I'm a direct descendant of enslaved people. Like my grandmother literally wasn't allowed to vote. Like, w- yeah. okay. Like, yeah. this is hard. Where yeah. are the other black women? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've, I mean, we've all been there where you're just like, you know, standing essentially by yourself and especially being a fan of pop culture. Mm-hmm. You, Cause this could be an, another issue in of itself. You have to essentially, and I love pop culture. I'm a pop culture, you know, fanatic. But with that said, being a pop culture fanatic, you have to basically accept the fact that you will not be represented, especially if you like the eighties yeah. or the nineties. Um, where they just did such a, a horrible job of, you know, adding or just showcasing Black people. And mm-hmm. I mean, love John Hughes, but Lord Jesus, he seriously must have had a major issue with Black people. Yeah. I can't remember one in any of his movies. No. And he doesn't. And sometimes I feel like he also hates women because oh, of some God. of this stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. Six, 16 Candles. It, I mean... He basically sells one off for yeah. like, um, you know, to to just have someone do whatever they want with her. You know, the panties are given away for the other one. Yeah. And then 
the the Asian character is just beyond racist. Yeah. It is, it's on a different level of racism. Yep. He has, I mean, my gosh, he it's clear that he hated yeah. <laughs> uh diverse people. Clearly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a serious issue with them. Yeah. But with that said, um, if you are a fan of pop culture, it's very hard not to, I mean, it's, it, I mean, you have to put some of those things aside. You just mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to make it through anything. I couldn't have made it through the nineties watching yeah. friends or, you know, um, oh God, sex in the city or yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah. Like all these shows that are based in New York city, which is one of the most diverse areas in the country with little to no diversity at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't like trip and, you know, avoid contact with a black Asian right. Latino or gay person in New York, but somehow these shows show this utopian society where they just don't exist. And they're so, all very wealthy and they all yeah. make it very successfully. And, you yeah. know, sure. Friends had those moments where they did the class divide between the group, but it's, it wasn't a consistent storyline no. either. So here I am living in California, watching these shows, thinking that you're going to live your best life in New York and it's hella easy, but also why doesn't anybody look like. Yes. Anyway. Or remotely close to anything that we're looking like. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> nothing, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. But same thing with like, you know, 902 and O loved it, but you know, other than Vivica Fox making an appearance in one episode <laughs> during that first season, I'm like, there there were hardly any and then you know even the writing for that was just you just look at it and you just cringe hearing mm-hmm. some of the, the lines that are being said or I think they even made reference to jungle fever yeah. like does you know Brandon have jungle fever or this <laughs> and the other because he was dating Vivica or was attracted to her or something I yeah I just yeah I will always remember those things yeah but we are here for a different conversation and I think they all kind of dovetail and kind of I mean the same issues and concerns that we have about race we Mm -hmm. definitely would have about you know LGBTQ representation and I think that the first thing is treating um treating the group as like a monolith Mm -hmm. and the fact that there if you just have one you know one example when you're so starved of images or whatever that sometimes that's not necessarily the best thing This portion of the show is brought to you by Tidy Revival. If you find yourself stressed by clutter and want to create simple solutions that are easy to maintain, Carly Adams will teach you exactly what to do in the clutter-free home process course community. Learn the steps she uses with every client and tips to help you think like a home organizer using short, easy steps. Plus, get personalized accountability and access to the private community for a full year. Check it all out at tidyrevival.com slash pop to learn more. In 2017, the New York Times ran an article titled 14 TV shows that broke the ground with gay and transgender characters on the list. Ricky from my so-called life is listed. Wilson Cruz played the 16-year-old who is credited with being the first actor to play an openly gay teen character on network television. In 2021, in a 2021 interview with Today, Cruz stated, quote, I have great pride in being that person, but 
but the freedom and the relief and the strength that people were able to garner just from seeing him and feeling a validation they received by his existence, his very existence of being on national television show about teenagers, the people like him felt seen and included and were part of the story. So the next question for you, because I think you were going there, what impact did Ricky from my so-called life have on you, whether it's direct or indirect? So I think that this might not be a popular answer. Um, yes, he was on, it was an image on television, but I don't necessarily know if it was, I definitely know it wasn't an image that represented me. Mm-hmm. So um, I played football in high school. Um, yeah, uh, I, um, you know, I, I went to a, a predominantly white private um, school, Christian Brothers Academy in upstate mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't out at the time, but I wasn't, um, I've never been, um, I've never pursued relationships with women or dated women or anything like that. So it's never, I've never like been like, Oh, John, John has a girlfriend. Sure. Wink, wink. Like it's never, I just avoided it. Um, And in the 90s, people can say, Oh my God, that's crazy or whatever. But in the nineties, it was a much different world than it is now, especially in the mid to early nineties. And that's a different story. So for Ricky Vasquez to be like the first, like, out an open gay character. I mean, Ricky put up, you know, wore like mascara. Ricky mm-hmm. would hang out in the women's bathroom. Um, those weren't any things that, those weren't things that I was want, that I wanted to do. Um, and I think that having one, you know, image or whatever, many people will be like, oh, that's like, that's what gay people are like. And I think that gay people are not like a monolith. Yeah. Um, we run a spectrum. Um, and, you know, just because one person is like living their truth in a certain way or whatever, isn't the way that, you know, all gay people are. Right. Um, And there is a difference, you know, obviously in, you know, the LGBTQ plus, I mean, there is just such a, a, you know, variety or just a range in, you know, the community in general. I mean, there's a, there's even a, he, Ricky is Latino. I am black. There is mm-hmm. a difference there. Um, you know, Ricky was dealing with homelessness at a point in in the show. I mean, I love the show. I've watched every episode. I own it uh, on VHS and DVD. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a true. That's how you know that you were born last century. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But at the end of the day, I was like, just like, hmm. I mean any random black person doesn't necessarily represent me or whatever. Right. I mean, Ricky didn't represent me either. Mm-hmm. And in a time when um, there, I mean, obviously there's still a lot of stigma around the gay community or whatever, but when, you know, this was, Ricky was just one, was one way or whatever. And I was not like that at all. I didn't see that as being like, my champion moment or sure. like, this is my role model or whatever I was like great I'm I'm glad that there is this and it definitely um stuck out in my mind or whatever but it didn't represent me at all mm-hmm. um I think that uh 
when uh, Dawson's Creek came on and there was a character Jack on it. You see, I, I do, I love pop culture. I know yeah. what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> um, I remember his character was more in line with the, the type of gay person I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I was more social and not as like quiet and brooding and this and the other, but, um, and still like unapologetically black. And I don't think there's been a character that's, necessarily like me on television mm -hmm. period well, and it goes back to the point of um the professor in the first article i uh pulled and quoted you know you it's hard to get representation when you still don't have um writers rooms and production staff who are able to be in the room and sort of help curate and cultivate those scenarios and the in the and that storyline it makes a big difference like if you don't have somebody in the room who can speak from experience, then, then are you really doing a service? Like how to, how. And, and I'm not necessarily saying that you, the only way you can write about a, um, a group is to be part of that group. Sure. Or because like, I even, I mentioned the Steven Spielberg um, situate, you know, yeah. example or whatever with the color purple earlier and how I think that that was just a phenomenal movie, period. Um, and I think it does a great job of capturing the Black experience mm -hmm. of, of that time and with those, with those people right in that, in, in that world. Um, I think that representation does matter, but I also think that it has to be the right type of representation. Yeah. Um, now, if you have, if you're sending in, gosh, um, who just is completely off brand to me, like Clarence Thomas or <laughs> Candace Owens or um, yeah. um, Herschel Walker or his son. Mm -hmm. um, and they're gonna be the black representation at the table or whatever, writing for black people, absolutely not. That's a problem. It's off brand. Mm -hmm. I would I would have a, a culturally competent white person a thousand times over them writing black stories yeah for because, sure you know they're i i don't necessarily think that they um uh that that culturally competent person white person would have the same sense of self-loathing or stereotypes that i think those individuals walk in um, yeah you know it's interesting <laughs> that you bring that up because we were my friend and i were talking about west side story and mm -hmm. she and i both don't really care for the new one like i think it's beautiful i think the costumes were amazing i think it was decently acted but for me what was missing was that line in the first and yes the first one's got its issues like natalie wood never should have played maria they painted them way too, like Rita Moreno's statement of how everyone had to be in dark brown makeup, even though they were all varying shades. Like we know, we know those problems, mm -hmm. but what it captured was that weird balance that you have to live between where you are in a community or an area that does have white supremacy existing and having to balance between that ideology and your existence when you're not a part of the major di dominant culture. I don't feel like the new one really captured that the same way. And it didn't hit me in the same way. Cause I, you know, that's where I come from being able to be in that whole, like, cool. Nobody knows what I am. Great. I'll just stand here in the corner and wait until somebody recognizes me and then we can be friends. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I, I, 
even then, I think that's a, a situation of like where you are. Like, mm-hmm. for example, my people are from New Orleans. My mom is from New Orleans. My family's from New Orleans. I have cousins who are, um, both their parents are black and they are much lighter than you. Um, they have blonde hair and blue eyes. And it's, you know, it's just a recessive gene thing. Yeah. So like, you know, areas like that where people are accustomed to seeing that, like they would have no problem seeing you and being like, oh, she's one of us. Yeah. Yeah. There wouldn't be like the, oh, what is she? It's because we've, they've seen so many people who look like that over the years. Mm-hmm. I think it's just access and your frame of reference. Yeah. That's what, that's what really dictates a lot of, you know, how people are treated or how they, you know, feel accepted or this and the other. It's interesting. I, I'm actually going to be working on a story about um, passing, the phenomenon Ooh. of passing, yeah. which I think will be very, very interesting i'm not going to say exactly what it's going to be because you know i i think it's new territory that i don't want another journalist seeing this and saying oh i'm gonna be running this story no you're not no (laughs) but yes it's it's definitely um yeah it's definitely a thing yeah Yeah. it is and i I think that it can kind of tie back to with um uh, queer representation in my community, yeah. you know, there's a group of people who run a straight pride parade and it's like, you're like half of us or half the community is like, you're kidding, right? Like you really believe that this is a thing you should be doing and just the ideology they're coming from. And then our younger people in our community are just so devastated by it because it's just hateful rhetoric that they're spouting, but they're convinced that they're right. And that's really so, hard. And I can't, I, it's just. So all 365 days of the year aren't enough for, you know, straight people. Thank I mean, because they, they are, they're, they are, their stories themselves, they are centered all of the time. Uh-huh. And um, that's just not enough, is it? Okay. Apparently not. Apparently we're not allowed to have June and have the representation and just what June represents and what pride represents. Apparently that's not okay. And there, and people are offended by that. And that just blows my mind because when you look at our educational systems, when you look at television and I've got some stats from glad because they, in January, I think it was in January, February, they re- released their um, report on representation and it's just one of those moments in life where it's like, oh, you clearly don't know what it's like to live in the margins or be on the outside if that's how you feel. Because it's shitty to only have negative stereotypes being reinforced for like the first 30 years of your life. Absolutely. But also getting when we get to like GLAD and um, the LGBTQ community, um, I would definitely like to talk a little bit about um, how it's basically centered around white whiteness there as well that's a great Um, point yep and you know while while we're being like oh the straights the straights the straights this and the other there's a problem here this and the other I think that the LGBTQ community definitely has a major issue um well this kind it you can't avoid race in this country right it was built on it we have we have a one drop rule Mm -hmm. um you know, yeah. it's, it's so hard to avoid the way that it's just entrenched in our country. And if, you know, if you're a person who says, oh, I don't see it, this and the other, then you've definitely been drinking that Kool-Aid. Yeah, that's um, always a red flag to me when someone's like, I don't see color. And I'm just like, 
I, I immediately try and look for that first exit. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm like, it's time for me to go. Right, because, right. You know, I, that, that's the thing. I want you to see that I am Black. I want you to see that I am gay. I want you to see all these things. I think that these are the important things that you can see in our society. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, our diversity of our country is what makes it so strong. It makes it unlike any other country in the world because we have everything coming together. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it also is the root of, I think, a lot of our, you know, our turmoil and our problem and our strife in this country and our division in this country. I mean, the fact that race is being used all the time to divide us. And yeah. I just don't think that we've, that the country has ever really mastered a way of, um, you know, properly incorporating everything and valuing everything. Yeah. And if we weren't all valued, I mean, if we were all valued, a lot of our problems would go away. But when we're using these things as ways to, you know, oppress or, Mm -hmm. you know, just discriminate against, I mean, they're basically the same thing, but um, that's where we run into a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Um, But there, no other country in the world is quite like this as far as what we are able to produce. Right. Um, You know, um, if you're looking at, our society as a whole or whatever, the fact that we have so many different types of people making, you know, um, contributions, I think really makes this country quite dynamic. um, I agree. At its best, at its best. Yeah, I agree. And I, that's why I love the invention of the internet. I know the internet also is a breeding ground for some horrible things, but Mm -hmm. there's, I've never lived anywhere, but Modesto, California. Mm -hmm. And if it weren't for the internet, I wouldn't be experiencing through other people's eyes, what the world is like. Mm -hmm. And that's been such a huge, I've always been a little left-leaning. I've always been all these whatever things, Mm -hmm. but being able to see the world through other people's eyes has been really fascinating to me because then it helps me get to understand that part of the country a little bit better, what their life is like a little bit better. And then in turn, I feel a little bit more empathetic towards their struggles, their plight, whatever's happening with them. And then I want to educate myself a little bit more to make sure I understand because ultimately there's going to be some sort of legislation in my country that requires voting. And I want to make sure I'm making the right informed decision, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. This portion of the episode is brought to you by Pleasant Creative Company. Have you ever experienced analysis paralysis when trying to craft your business's brand? A new kind of brand kit that takes the decision-making off your plate and delivers both strategy and a high quality visual identity. The brand kit is designed to make branding your biz easy by taking out as many of the agonizing decisions as possible. Here's how it works. You start by taking the archetype brand quiz, which Kelly wrote to be reminiscent of those old 17 magazine quizzes. You remember those, right? Once you finish the quiz, you'll get a link to your suggested archetypes brand kit. This kit contains all the elements you need for a solid brand that reflects your brand's personality. No more pouring over color swatches or trying to find just the right font. If you're ready to get yours, visit pleasantcreative.co today. On February 17th, 2022, GLAD reported that LGBTQ representation has reached an all-time high, with President and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis stating, 
quote, the growing state of LGBTQ representation on television is a signal that Hollywood is truly starting to recognize the power of telling LGBTQ stories that audiences around the world connect with. She says, at a time when anti-LGBTQ legislation and violence continues to increase, it is cultural institutions like television that take on the crucial role of changing hearts and minds through diverse and inclusive storytelling. The report goes on to state that out of 775 series regular characters scheduled to appear on scripted, broadcast, primetime programming for the 2021-2022 season, 92 characters are LGBTQ. So that's about 11.9%. That's still in my mind, a fairly low number compared, but compared to 2015-2016 season, it's an 8% increase. In a 2017 article from The Advocate titled 17 LGBTQ Tropes Hollywood Needs to Retire, Tracy E. Gilchrist and Daniel Reynolds list 17 tropes we all know all too well. And in my own memory of LGBTQ representation, nearly every trope listed is all I can remember of most of gay characters in the 90s and early 2000s. So I want to talk a little bit about what you think Hollywood is getting right and what you think Hollywood is getting wrong when it comes to mainstream representation. The gatekeepers are, they've got to go. We'll start with the wrong. Um, it, I mean, but they're the same, they're the same concerns that I see as a black person or Mm -hmm. just for people of color, um, the same group, um, keeps on green lighting, you know, or, you know, or tweaking stuff. Like my biggest issue, I love the book, Queen Sugar, like you, my people are from the South. My grandfather loved being on the farm. That's, you know, he was not a city guy. And to read that book and this woman moves from LA to Louisiana because of a sugarcane farm. And she's an artist and her mom's this eloquent person, fluent in French and all these things where I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. I see parts of my black family in here. Mm-hmm. And then Ava and Oprah redo, you know, do an adaptation. It's a great show, yeah. but they, but they make the husband a basketball player instead of him being dead. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these other things where I'm just like, really? Like I finally, yeah. I felt like I finally had something that I was like, yes, I see so much of my family in this hodgepodge sad story of motherhood and self-identity and then you take that and sort of reframe it to fit whatever I thought it was fitting the narrative like the husband was dead in the story but they bring him back to life to make him this big time basketball player and he's a cheater and he's got this you know illegitimate child from somebody else that's a secret and like all these things I was like really yeah did we have to do that (laughs) but I think in tv Sometimes you do. And this is why, and this okay. is why I this is why I think we should have a discussion at some point about um why we cannot compare books to movies or books yeah. to TV shows. Some things that work well in like in a novel or a book or in literature just can't translate to what works well on primetime television. Yeah. Unfortunately. And you know, like. I, I do see, yes, he, he's a basketball player, this and the other. I'm like, once again, like, do we have to have another, you know, athlete being like, this is what a black man is or this and the other. Yeah. And I but think the- that was part of my issue. I was like, you could have yeah. made him a lawyer. You could have made him something that wasn't an athlete that still had yeah. wealth and money and power. Yeah. But at the same time, I can also see the fact that he does want to have like a, you know, 
a major role in his son's life or whatever, which is it goes against that whole like deadbeat right. dead narrative too or whatever. So I'm not giving, you know, I'm not saying, oh my God, this is like the end all be all of like what black male representation should look like on television. Um, but yeah, um, it's much better than what we have seen in the past because yeah. my God, yeah. oh my God. But and that, that brings me to, you know, this 11%. Um, I think that the fact that we have so many different options as far as television shows go um, or just networks or streaming um, mm -hmm. aspects, that's why we are seeing such a, um, so many people getting opportunities. Um, is it where it needs to be? Absolutely not. Right. Not you even know, close. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that I forget the guy who's in charge of fx like somebody came in and did a report and was like here's where you're missing the mark like your hella white tv is missing the mark and he as far as i know is the only like exec who was just like all right we're gonna change we're gonna we're gonna do better and they did they pretty much doubled their programming and for those at home who don't know fx is the home to atlanta is the home to it was pose i think was yep. on fx pose. Mm -hmm. um and the, and a, and a, a handful of other shows that were pretty pretty not i won't say out there but definitely would not see on network television um and they were like we don't want to be a part of the problem we want to be part of the solution and then made action and i really respected them for that i still think that there are some shows where i'm just like i don't know about that show but you do yeah you yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah so superhero shows, mm -hmm. I think, have been a major area for where you you're seeing a lot of diversity and inclusion, which is interesting because you see a lot of um, um, see a lot of the directors a couple of years ago or the past couple of years have been like attacking them, saying they're not real shows, this and the other, da da da, and it just is so it just so happens that these directors basically have all majority white productions anyhow mm -hmm. so i'm like um i don't need your advice or your opinion for anything um you all have you know forced people in the margins out and yeah. have kept them out forever and i'll be damned if i'm going to listen to you saying you know what we're doing is art but what the rest of the people are you know they're doing you know that's like you know that's hurting everyone oh yeah. it's hurting you know the ability for a million white folks to, you know, keep on having their stories told in rich ways or whatever, while mm -hmm. the rest of us have to fight for scraps. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. But bring me back to that Black Lightning, for example, where um, it's a Greg Berlanti um, does that show. And he did like Dear Simon and. Um, oh, Love Simon and Love Victor. Love, yep. And Love Victor. Mm -hmm. And um, in most of his shows, they're there are gay characters and there is a gay um an lgbtq storyline and i really appreciate that um so like in black lightning i don't know if you've watched it love it it's I'll really it it's really good see john um, john endorsed i have to now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that it's so fantastic um is because it does more than just like the action and the fighting and this and the other there's always like some type of like social conscious you know storyline references the music mm. everything and um one of the, the the main daughters is um a lesbian oh 
Yep. So it's they're black, um, and uh, one of the main daughters is a lesbian, and um, she's in a she's definitely in a in a relationship. They don't just have her just like oh she's a lesbian, and they never show like a love interest or anything sure. like that. I mean, they show her as a real character, like everybody else, yeah. and. I think the show is really, really well done and it incorporates so much, so much into it. You know, um, where can we watch this show? Yep. It's on um, Netflix now, but it's uh, a CW show. CW. uh, Man, they've been, they've been kind of on the cutting edge for ever since they were the WB. (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. With Dawson's Creek. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, they, um, they most definitely, it's most definitely a, a great show that um, I enjoy. And I, I, you know, having the LGBTQ representation there is mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a, in a accurate, in a good way yeah. um, is an added bonus. So yeah, he does that with most of his shows. You can, you'll find like an LGBTQ um, storyline throughout. And I loved love simon and love victor i love love victor i haven't watched love victor yet but i love love simon oh my god if you if you love love victor love simon or whatever you'll love love victor okay my friend and i went and saw i was gonna take my son and i love to go to the movies together and for whatever reason he didn't want to go this time when it released and so my friend and i went and we're probably the oldest people in the room so this is Mm -hmm. 2018 so i was 34 okay so it's all 20 somethings Mm -hmm. which was kind of a cool experience everyone's into the movie mm-hmm. everyone's feeling the emotions you can feel it in the room and then at the end when you get the payoff everyone yeah. cheered and I'm not usually the person who's like yeah let's clap and cheer in a movie theater that's not necessarily my style yeah. but everyone was just so overcome with emotion that yeah. it was just like we all were like yeah and it just felt so good I those are the moments I love when you have a solo but collective experience absolutely and it definitely impacted me and I read the book too and I thought it was a really good adaptation um and I just it's one of the ones that's in circulation in my house we I put it on whenever I just need to feel I don't know yeah (laughs) yeah um I love um Love Victor, I think, was even better than Love Simon. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I, I'm a big fan of like you know diversity and having that's on Freeform, right? <laughs> or it was on Freeform? Um, no, no, no. It was um Hulu. Okay. Wait. Yes, it was either Hulu or Netflix. Ooh, it's one of them. It's see, one of them. We have yeah. we have so many. There are so many different options now, and this is why you can have shows like that being made because there are um there are different platforms Mm -hmm. and people Mm -hmm. are taking more um I don't want to say risk or chances but yeah they're but there is a different level of freedom when you're a streaming service and yeah Netflix seems to be okay with taking risks yeah they've never really shied away from that HBO is kind of like sometimes they take risks but they take risks in a different way (laughs) yeah absolutely but yeah um I mean, yeah, um, it might not necessarily, <laughs> might not necessarily be the best images of LGBTQ characters, but I remember, um, watching Oz and there were, there was a same sex storyline yeah. involving, um, Chris Maloney, who is stabler on, um, uh, Law and Order SV- yeah. yeah, SVU and now organized crime or whatever. But yeah, I remember seeing stuff like that and I'm like, oh, this is the first time I've seen like 
men actually like kissing or mm -hmm. this and the other. Um, yeah, uh, as problematic as many of those storylines were in that show, I mean, but it still was a way that I think that Middle America was the first time they had seen man-on-man -man action yeah. like that or... Yeah. Because one of the tropes that is talked about in that article I mentioned earlier is, you know, girl on girl is hot. Mm -hmm. And, and when I think about the nineties and I think about the two thousands and how many jokes were made around that, but mm -hmm. then there was such controversy around seeing two men kiss on TV. Yeah. Absolutely. And it was like, I couldn't reconcile, I couldn't reconcile it because I was just like, but it's, you know what I mean? Like my teenaged brain couldn't figure out why one was praised and one was like weaponized. I well, didn't get it. Yeah. It's because of toxic male masculinity. I get and it now. Yeah. They are, they are, they are, um, they are the, they are the gatekeepers mm -hmm. essentially and white males. Um, they are the gatekeepers and, you know, this appealed to them, you know, seeing women on women fan. I can't relate to that clearly. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm happy not to relate to it, but um, I guess that was their fantasies living out. So you'll see like a Britney Spears and Madonna having their kiss on stage at the MTV Mu Music Awards and people are like, oh, this is so great, da, 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 this and the other. Don't know if that would have gone over the same way if you had two men doing the same thing. Right. I still don't think we've ever seen that at, a, at an award show. Um, I don't. There was, when did, when was Ryan Gosling nominated for La La Land? Whatever oh. year that was. Okay. Whoever was sitting next to him. And again, this is one of those things where you're, you know, you're kind of making a joke of the situation, right? So like, yeah, whoever was sitting next to him, maybe it was Andrew Garfield said, don't kiss your, if you win, don't kiss your, who you're with. Eva, Eva Mendez, I think is who he's with. Kiss me. Yeah. And he didn't win but he, they kissed each other anyway. And I don't, I know I've seen photos of it. I don't know if it aired during the live show. Oh, interesting. but still, you know, it was like, it's, it, it's making a mockery of it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, Brittany and Madonna, I felt like made a mockery of lesbians with their kiss or whatever. People were still like, Ooh, this is like cool or da da da. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, what do you think? So you listed um, our fellow who did Love, Simon, Love, Victor and a couple other things. What do you think, who else do you think is getting it right in Hollywood? It's a big drop off after that. Um, <laughs> it, it is. Um, there, I mean. Because it feels well, like there's not, people are acting like there's not enough room at the table for everybody. And I just don't feel like that's true. Um, I've interviewed a number of people who basically say build your own table. Oh, Yeah. I mean, you that's kind to, of what you have to do now, right? It's kind of what you have to do. I mean, you know, when you just have every door shut off to you, mm -hmm. you have to be like, screw it. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. Ryan Murphy, uh, you know, has a number of products out there, projects out there where there are LGBTQ, you know, characters. Um, Hollywood was interesting. I was going to ask if you had seen that. Yeah, yeah I did. Um, I thought it was interesting in looking how you're kind of turning reality on its ear mm -hmm. um, to kind of like reshape a narrative. And, you know, while people are like, oh, how can you do this? Mm. White people who do this every day. Mm -hmm. 
those shows that I was talking to you about, the 90 shows in um, New York, that is shifting reality and putting it on its ear. Reality in New York City does not look like Friends or Sex in the, the old Sex in the City yeah. or um, Seinfeld. Yeah. There are, it's a diverse area. So when you go out of your way to showcase basically just, an, it's like the sixth sense, I only see white people. <laughs> um that is you know that is that is that's shifting reality that is you know make making sure that your reality looks like something that in which this country really isn't Mm -hmm. um this country in in many places is not a homogenous area of just you know just straight white christian people Mm -hmm. what kind of impact do you think it would have made on you if stories like this existed in the teenage realm when you were in high school like in this more diverse setting that we have because I mean I have a whole bookcase dedicated to LGBTQ stories yeah that wasn't a thing 20 years ago absolutely I think it it would have it would have probably um affected my peers more which I think will then affect everybody else. So when you are taking a lot of the stigma away, when you are showing that there is, you know, um, that there are layers to these communities, it's very hard then to say, this is how a gay person is, or Mm -hmm. this is what, you know, they do, or, you know, this, 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 and this, or whatever, where you have like this just narrow view of what, you know, a person or a group is like. Um, I think that that's where the the issues were. I never had a problem hating myself. Oh, I never, good. I never, you know what I mean? Yeah. Never hated myself. Depressed about not having other, you know, outlets sure. and, or people. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. But, you know, I have that. I've, you know, I have that as a Black person. Right. You know what I mean? So I think that that definitely also helped um because I was already used to you know feeling a certain type of way about Mm -hmm. being you know a marginalized person in society um but um gosh I lost my thought I think I'll I'm gonna get back to it um but I do think that affecting the way that others see you or the majority sees people you know I think that's a big thing because I'm not I wasn't walking around saying oh that's gay or oh this isn't the other you know what I mean I wasn't the one who had issues with gay people right um they were and they needed to have their eyes opened and the only way they could have done that is to see more and more Mm -hmm. you know images and you know to make things a little more um uh easy or accepting for others to feel more comfortable coming out and you know not thinking that you know a Matthew Shepard's type situation was going to be the reality of what was going to happen um to them because you know hate crimes and gay bashing that was you know it is still a real thing but that was that was a a legitimate fear at that point it was it was yeah, between that and, um, or then, you know, just having the stigma of just having AIDS placed on right. the community. Um, right. And that was like, that was it. Or that was the only type of character you would see on TV or whatever. 
so yeah, the, the those were the realities of living in the early mid to early nineties. Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. love that you bring up that point though, because it's kind of the theme of it in the sense of like it would have affected other people because that's kind of the whole point I think of why I do the show that I do because I will die on this fucking hill. Mm-hmm. Literature, media, it influences, it impacts, it helps us grow in ways that we didn't ever expect. And when yeah. you have negative representation, you are not doing anybody any favors. And when you have something that's good and, and it's fiction, but it's based on someone's reality, you're allowing space for someone to grow and think, huh, I never considered that before. That's different for me, but interesting. And here are some areas of that person that I can identify with, even if, even though I'm not a black man who's gay, or even if I'm not a a Latina woman who, you know, whatever the descriptors are. And it is so important to me that we stop doing these horrible representations because it, that input becomes output and then you have just trash and we can't be trashed. And I just can't, I can't with the trash people anymore. Like stop being trash <laughs> to my people, stop being trash yeah. to women. Like, yeah, it's just, it's so, it makes me so angry. Yeah. So instead of getting mad and crying every day, cause that's a reality <laughs> that still happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. we come on here and examine all the stuff that influenced us and chat and hopefully can challenge, you know, why do we think this way and what impacted us and how could it be better? Because I don't want my kids going through that. I don't want my grandkids going through that. I want a better world for them. Yeah, absolutely. And do I think that we only need positive images from these groups? No, I don't think that's reality. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that there has to be some type of overcompensation for mm-hmm. just having such a void of (laughs) positive, you know, I mean, obviously, um, because I say this all the time when I write stories, um, I want to write just because stories for Black people Mm -hmm. or for marginalized groups. I want to write the same type of just because stories that white people have enjoyed forever. Mm -hmm. There, you know, no one is mentioning their, you know, the fact that they are white as the justification for writing this story they're just writing it yeah and I want that for you know obviously for um marginalized groups with that said I know that we are far we're far away from that so now we 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 have to I think I'm in full um support of showcasing Mm -hmm. excellence in those communities as much as you can because they are they are constantly beaten down mm-hmm. and, you know, torn apart and, you know, stereotype. That's what being marginalized means. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you just don't get to enjoy the same things as the majority yeah. and being treated as like having this individual look um, where, you know, I'm sure you, you see this too. Um, uh, one person like from our groups represents the entire group, right? White people can enjoy individuality. They mm -hmm. can always say, nope, that's just, that's that person. Mm -hmm. That's not us. That's them. That's that person. They're like the lone wolf or they're this, that, and the other. For us, we represent every single person. Mm -hmm. We never have that level of 
um, individuality. Yeah. There's always the, you know, the pressure of stereotyping. There's mm-hmm. always the pressure of this and the other. And that's, I mean, ultimately that's how white supremacy has worked in this yeah. country. And it's probably one of the most dangerous things that it, and long lasting effects that we have seen yeah. um, that um, a white person can just go out and be themselves and not have their actions represent their, their, the entire group as a right. whole. Right. And I think there's power. There's a lot of power in that. And um, I, I hope that, you know, ultimately, I think that's when we will achieve some type of like closer to utopian society when we're all judged as individuals and not just as like a group right. as a whole. Right. So, Cause it's yeah. a lot of pressure and it's unfair. It is 100% unfair because my friend Nikki and I talk about this all the time. Her dad's from, oh, shoot, listen, she's going to be pissed. Cause I can't remember what country <laughs> her dad is from. <laughs> Cause we talk about it on the regular. Stop listening, Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, girl, I'm sorry. Um, and, and just the cultural difference that she experiences because her mom's, you know, from this country, but her dad's mm-hmm. from a country that is on the continent of Africa and just the, okay. the headbutting is the wrong word, but there's, you know, there's this, I, oh, I'll go with difference between the two, right? Like the cultural experiences that her dad experienced and the cultural experiences that her mom experienced. And then the two don't, they're not the same story, but because of the color of their skin, everyone assumes that they have the same story. So then that's, you know, and that's just not fair. And that's unfortunate and a lot of pressure. And we always talk about how it's hard wearing the armor in the real world. So please just leave us alone when we get home because that's when we want to rest and let us rest. Like, don't fuck with my rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, it, it's um, it's a prime example. When I went to, even though I I always knew that there were, you know, Black people ran a spectrum, like a thought and, you know, and color and, you know, um, complexions and this and the other. Um, it... I mean, and my parents instilled that in me from day one and, you know, exposed, you know, my sister and my and myself to so many different things so that we didn't have this narrow view of what Black was. But it wasn't until I went to Howard University where I really saw it. And I mean, like, yeah. you see it from, like, just a regional aspect of mm-hmm. Black people. Black people from the West Coast are, or even Southern California versus Northern California are yep. much different. <laughs> then, yep. Um, then black people from like Chicago or Detroit or from the Northeast or from the South and then from the deep South or from mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Areas like Texas. I mean, even the Bay different. area to the Valley where I am, like yeah. it is a culture shock for our friends yeah. from the Bay area move here. They're just like, the fuck is this place? Welcome <laughs> to get out. <laughs> <laughs> and I have, a, um, I have a good amount of family in the Bay area. I definitely, I know what you mean. Um, it's, it's a different, it's a different world. Um, but then even like having international black people, Mm -hmm. um, black people from Africa and different areas of Africa are much different than others. And then Caribbean black people are much different. And then you have Afro Latinos, you have, um, you know, black people from all over the country. You have, you know, black people who identify as black and are biracial or black people, you know what I mean? There is just, there is just so much there is just so much there and it's you know you can't go to a place like Howard and then leave there at the end of the day saying oh this is what 
you know, this narrow view of black people, you all are all like this, or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And I feel, feel, I feel the same way about the LGBTQ community because there is just so much there. Yeah. Um, you know, and it deserves, might not, yeah. Politically, say, we it, might not even align as, you know, being part of the LGBTQ community. They're like these log cabin Republicans who I have nothing in common with. Yeah. And yeah. And you have like now a person like a Caitlyn Jenner, who is, I mean, has said very problematic things in public. Yep. And as part of, but there, she's also part of the trans community. And yeah. I know that many trans people cannot stand her but she's still there. So it's very hard to like, you know, I think that there are things that are mm, on brand for gay people. Sure. Or the LGBTQ community. There are certain things that, you know, kind of unite them as a whole. There are always going to be outliers. So with anyone, there are no absolutes with anything. Mm -hmm. But with that said, um, there are certain things that I would say a majority of the LGBTQ community would be, or members of those letters Mm -hmm. um, would be in favor, in favor of, or, you know, or would endorse or whatever versus other things. Right. But um, yeah, um, it's just, it's no different. We have, we run, you know, the spectrum of everything. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And personally, I love it when there's a new story being told that maybe wasn't told before, because it helps me understand the depths that are within the community. I think it's, for me, it's important because again, being in Modesto, California, I've got limited exposure here. And, you know, when I see something through a screen, uh, it's my starting point. It's my starting point for whatever that, if, if I'm not familiar with it, right. It's my starting point for what I want to explore, how to understand. And I think that's why I love seeing so much more coming out for high school narratives. And to your point earlier about, you know, um, that representation being important and just having those conversations. I think that's why we're seeing books being banned in states that deal with LGBTQ storylines and themes, because there's fear there. And the fear is (laughs) irrational. Yes. And you're just like, wait a minute. I don't. Okay. All right. You, okay. Y'all you're because as many, as many books that I read in high school or, you know, throughout my, you know, academic career that featured straight characters, uh-huh. I'd be straight. Right. You would think, right. Yeah. I mean, that's but how it like, works. No. Right? Because if you're reading something and then there's a, a you know, a character that's of a certain sexuality mm-hmm. and you um you read it then you're automatically going to be converted to that right that group. so if that's the case I've only had you know straight people around me two straight people produced me yeah you know what I mean <laughs> so, um I've, I've lived in a heteronormative you know world for my entire life how and how is it that I turned out to be this gay of a person right yep because I was there weren't there weren't the images or the tv shows or this and the other I was bum I've been bombarded by messaging of you know going to be straight or you know this and the other and somehow I you know I became became gay yeah I mean dumb argument it really is and so the other day on one of these like I follow one of these book 
producer people publishers and they commented about like what's a classic novel that could be replaced or something I am so over us reading The Great Gatsby like I can't I've taken far too many English courses well I've taken a lot of English courses because that's was my track in college and under and graduate school and everyone's like this is the gold standard like Fitzgerald and Catching the Rye and Sal, you know, Salinger and, you know, then they sprinkle in some people like you're always going to have either, you know, someone's going to pull in Morrison or, or um, my Angela. Morrison's books are, they, they're, they try and ban them every time they get a chance. Yes. Well, this every person, time. somebody was like, please don't take away Great Gatsby because it's the only book teenagers love. Well, my son was in AP English. He didn't like it. I was in English. I didn't like why it. Do they lo- why, why do they love that book? I have no idea because I've never experienced people who actually genuinely loved that book. Like I only have experienced people who are like, we have to read this again. And so my argument was, was like, Hey, you could remove the great Gatsby, bring in passing by Nella Larson, same era, similar themes, but then you can actually have a conversation about race that isn't radically charged with whatever emotions you're feeling because you're white and fragile. And like, I didn't say it like that on the internet because I'm very afraid of getting like They don't want those images ever addressed or discussed. Correct, correct. Because I was like, are we really still going to force white male lens stories on our children today? Like, cool, like make it supplemental reading. Yes, yes, precisely. Exactly. That is is the goal. And the brainwashing behind it of like, we have to because it's a classic. And I'm just like- it's a classic because some asshole decided it was a classic. You know what I'm going to call a classic? Not that book. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, like, look, I, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, ban the great, great Gatsby. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, think of the the right word so that I don't necessarily get into trouble. Yes. For what I, <laughs> yes. Yes. For what okay. I'm going to say it's, oh, <laughs> It, it plays into like this, you know, into the wants and needs of white America. They, yeah. you know, the fact that, oh, you know, you can come out of nowhere and just make it. Mm-hmm. Gatsby couldn't have done that as a black person. No. He wouldn't have opened the door to him ever. With, no. You know, to reinvent himself or have this talented Mr. Ripley moment. That just couldn't work with us. There is just so much... Yep. Or, um, you know, couldn't have worked as like a woman is like the centered part of that story. Like and this only works because it is going through the lens of, you know, the white male experience mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. fact that it's centered around them. They are this glamorized, like hero type, you know, larger than life. Like they are just, you know, the masters of industry and this and the other. And yeah, all of this in, it just goes into like their, just indulges them to the nth degree and uh-huh. it's, like, and, it's but, exhausting and it's this is the, I, again I'm gonna another hill I'm gonna die on we need to be studying Nella Larson in high school because she yeah. touches on you've got a character who's choosing to pass on purpose yeah. and a character who passes for convenience yeah. so then you have this conversation of race and the construct of race and it's happening in New York City because people still want to think that the north 
didn't have anything to do with racism. I don't know where that narrative came from. And, and so you're having, you're seeing it through, you know, the one character who passes for convenience's lens. I'm sorry, if you've read this book, I probably shouldn't be explaining it to you because that's just rude. And we, no, 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 it's totally fine because the audience might not have, they might not have seen seen the, they might not have seen the movie, which we should also talk about at a certain point. Yes. And so you have, like, there's this scene that's so powerful where it's the three of them, um, Irene and, and the two other, Claudia and I forget the others. And so they're talking about their children and the fear they had about what their children would come out. And my, like, I've told the story on the show before, my grandmother was not allowed to play outside because her mother didn't want them to get darker because she wanted to be able to pass for convenience. Yes. And so that kind of hiding who you are was passed down to my dad, which was passed down to me. And to break free from that has been really fucking hard. And I'm not the only one. There are hundreds of thousands of people who have that same generational trauma coursing through them. Can we please talk about passing in school? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And colorism, it doesn't even have to be as, it doesn't even have to be as extreme as passing. Right. Just, you know what I mean? Just having that, you know, the, the whiter or the more European, your, you mm-hmm. know, your features, you know, this and the other, I mean, that's more acceptable. Yeah. I mean, I remember Gabrielle Union one time in an interview said like every day she would like pinch her nose so that yeah. it wouldn't, sp- it wouldn't, you know, be as broad or yeah. as wide. Um, yeah, and if you ever read the book, Our, Our Kind of People, um, there is a chapter in it specifically on passing and Ooh. it is heartbreaking. And if, if, you, if there is this one thing you should read that chapter, it's, it's haunting. I, I read that like when it first, you know, like maybe probably like two decades ago or when it, when it, when it came out. And it st- those anecdotes still stick in my mind and it's really painful to even think about, you know, one girl who, had to take a daily bath in bleach mm. and milk mm. and had her knees and elbows scrubbed with um uh scrubbed with I think it was like maybe lemon juice yeah. or something like that to like remove the darkness and she wasn't allowed to play outside or whatever and you know there was another who um she was the lightest in her family and everyone thought that her mom was like the maid or whatever, but the mom made, made sure that she remained the lightest because they didn't want her to, I guess, experience the things that, you know, darker skinned black people would. It was, it's, it's really, really powerful stuff and really haunting and just so upsetting and just such a reminder of that white supremacy plays such a role in society and having everything like, you know, centered around that. Mm-hmm. And the white, the white lens and the white gaze is very, very, very powerful. And yeah. we see this going throughout every single group. They all have the, especially in this country, they all have, um, well, I can't even say that. I mean, the white lens is, you know, the, the standard for the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately we all have to live through that um build our own tables apparently yeah building <laughs> building an, your own table is a, a necessary thing mm-hmm. or finding um 
white people who, and they, they do exist and there are plenty out there who don't have a problem, you know, telling accurate stories of yeah. all people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah this, yeah. this is a, I mean, they do exist, obviously. Steven Spielberg at that time mm-hmm. existed for the color purple. Yeah. To, and to take on a, a piece like that. Right. Um, you know, and it's a difficult fairly difficult book I mean you're you're reading it or whatever and it you know it takes some thought and Mm -hmm. some type of like you know dedication um just like Toni Morrison books um she I mean she's just on such a different level Mm -hmm. of intelligence yep and I'm not just counting her because she went to my alma mater (laughs) (laughs) I am saying that Toni Morrison is completely brilliant um she is I, I mean, I know that Toni Morrison is now passed, so I'm not, I don't want to talk about her as if she's like living, you know, now or whatever. But her but work her, lives on. Work, so it's almost, her work so she does. Lives on. So it's like and she's it's, still it, living. Yep. It's timeless. I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where people are going to be like, oh, that's easy reading or right. that doesn't require much thought. Right. Or this is just so simple, simplistic and this and the other. She is very deep. Yeah. She is well researched. You know, she has like, there are just so many things that I think make make her work almost impossible to turn into a movie or bring to another genre because yeah. it's, just, it's just so complex. And I don't think that many people are able to get on that same type of level. Yeah. But that's a different, that's a different yeah. story. Yeah, it is. But hey, you know what? I could talk to you forever. Oh, yeah. In I do have to say that I'm excited about the new Queerest Folk coming back. And yes, it, I saw that. Yep. It's going to be on Peacock, I believe. And oh, um, once again, another streaming service yeah. that's offering, you know, more, you know, opportunities. I mean, they did the same thing with Saved by the Bell. I think they had a non- um, a, a non-binary character mm-hmm. or just a character from the LGBTQ community that was never in the first and I loved you know yeah. I love the first but they I don't think they're they even sneezed the word gay let alone had any type of gay representation in the no first. Zach Morris is a horrible person oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was so dreamy <laughs> I mean I mean yeah he, he is he's a dreamy guy he is but we also I mean, have physically yeah, I would say it's well established that I have a thing for basic white boys. I just like to look at them. Oh, but here, this is this is a um, this is a little wrinkle in that his mom is Asian. <gasps> yeah, I had that, no idea. Mark, Mark Paul Gosler is Asian. He's biracial. Is he mixed? He is. How did I miss that? OMG, they're going to kick me out of the club because I had no idea. <laughs> he is bi- he's biracial. Absolutely. Oh, so, I yeah, that's, that. yeah, that's, and there you go about, you know, with, you know, the phenomenon of passing in general, yeah. where people just having like the default thinking that, you know, he has blonde hair or this right. and the other, he's automatically this, but yeah, especially as he's gotten older though, you can, you can see that there's a little something, something going on. Yeah, he is 
fine grown yeah, i cannot like yeah. the tv show pitch i was like oh yeah i loved pitch oh me I was too like, oh with, I was with like, the, the facial hair i was like oh sir mm-hmm. <laughs> like i didn't know i needed you as a professional yeah. ball player on tv <laughs> thank you fox yeah. it's the yeah. only thing i'm thanking fox for i was so upset when that show got canceled because i thought it was really well done i agree i thought there was so much potential for it and i liked his character in it mm-hmm. um the lead, um, I forget her name, but she's she's stunning and she's great. Um, and she yeah, played I the love... character very well because the pressure yeah. of being the first female in the Major League Baseball and like all this stuff, she embodied that in a way that felt so true and authentic that I was just like, I needed this show. Yeah, it, it's it's so well done. Yeah, it was so well done. I'm I'm sad to see that it. I'm sad that it it's gone. It's been a couple yeah. of years now since it's been off the air. But representation does matter, and yeah. there's just something about seeing characters that kind of reflect you. They don't have to be your a carbon copy of what you are, yeah. but they can be walking in the same in the same line mm-hmm. as you. Mm-hmm. Um, you are in this world, and there's something about that that probably makes you know makes it easier to keep going and people are like oh tv it's like vapid or this you know escapism this and the other which i think is totally needed Mm -hmm. um people need an escape from reality and they need to see themselves reflected in in different spaces i mean i i definitely went to howard after um in large part after watching a different world yes oh my gosh the list of shows that you're coming back for is getting longer because I'm working on a project where we talk about the real life implications of certain television shows, positive and negative, because oh, yeah. there's negative real life implications too. And a different world is one of the ones that we're going to dive deep into. And then LA law and, um, you know, um, inspiring a, just a generation of lawyers mm-hmm. that's well-documented, yep. you know, shows like ER saying elsewhere, like people wanting to become doctors yes. as a result of that. Yes. And I'm sure like, even with Grey's Anatomy, you're probably going to have a, a whole bunch of STD infected children <laughs> running around because, you know, they've, you know, that, that sleeping was in, sleeping together in the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean that, and that that's a, a storyline in Grey's Anatomy. They yeah. make, you know, reference to it, this and the other there. I believe there was like a big syphilis outbreak or something like that on the show. Okay. Anything. Listen, <laughs> I track STD statistics in my county for fun. Oh, and okay. In in 2020, I want to say in July of 2020. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Syphilis was up by like 70. Huh? Syphilis was what? up by like 70 percent. Oh. And I'm like, y'all, we're supposed to be not be seeing each other. How the fuck did you make that comeback? Anyway, mm-hmm. anyway, they were breaking out of that bubble. They were, they were like, we're just going to share all the bubbles and diseases. And I'm like, I don't want your diseases. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. Mm. In February of 2020, Apple plus released a five episode docuseries titled visible out on television, which explores the history of LGBTQ representation in Hollywood. Like they go back to like yeah. the start of TV. I thought the series was excellent. We mentioned Rolston Cruz earlier. He was cited as one of the executive producers. Wanda Sykes also has an executive producer credit. This show highlights the progress that has been made in Hollywood. As noted earlier, representation is at an all-time high, but 11% is still kind of low. So I want to know what you would, what you hope for, for the future of LGBTQ in representation in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, first I think that you need to have writers in that writing room 
Um, so I would hope that there are more um, LGBTQ people or LGBTQ friendly people um, pursuing careers as writers and directors and casting directors, people who are able to ensure that representation goes there. Um, yeah, I think that's the most important thing because unless there are people, oh, and then, you know, executive producers and studio heads or whatever need to absolutely change. Um, they've had, you know, decades and decades and decades and decades and decades to get it right. They haven't. Mm -hmm. And I'm tired of hearing their excuses. They've just got to go. Yeah. To go. They, I'm, I'm just, I'm done hearing, you know, the same people say, oh, we can't do it, or oh, this and the other. They can find ways to mm -hmm. make New York City um, as white as can as white can be. They yeah. did it in the 90s. They could they can, you know, showcase some diversity. And if they're having some resistance, lead follower, get out of the way. I believe yeah. in that, that, that um that saying. Uh, so like. Yeah, I just don't, I have no patience right now for people who are like, we can't do this because it's been done like this forever. Yeah. Um, no, this cut, this world um, is browning. This world is being more open and honest and living in their own truths mm -hmm. more and more. Um, there is no reason for people to be, um, to be forced into a closet in 2022. There is no reason for us not to show that, you know, relationships are, you know, run outside of just a, a traditional Christian based mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. Mom, That's dad, 2.5 kids. Fuck that exactly. shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's and fine, I want to find this half of a child. Where is this half of a child? I know. I was just like, your data makes me uncomfortable. Where I know, like seriously, like. <laughs> but yeah, I just it's um, I think that the change begins behind the scenes mm -hmm. and at the the infancy, the planning stages of these projects. Yeah. Um, that's where that's where I think the real work needs to be done. Um, so we need more adaptation. Uh, we need gay writers writing all the time, and or just writing about these these um, these aspects, so that there will be a, um, a potential for that to be turned into a TV show or a movie or you know screenwriters. All that it's necessary. Um, though that's when we will start seeing more change when we start flooding um flooding the market with like good projects um can't, i just don't think it just can be just anything just for the sake of being anything right i um, hate representation for representation's sake that actually yeah. drives me really crazy because that just but feels I, like yeah. you're smack you're just being like ah, fuck you like that's what it Absolutely. feels like it feels like you're telling us fuck you but yeah but we we, we mentioned plenty of people who are from marginalized groups who obviously produce such quality excellence mm -hmm. um across the board and throughout time um they are there and mm -hmm. it's just a, it's just the um the willingness of those people in charge to yeah. say oh i see value in this right and not just seeing value in the white male lens great gatsby mm -hmm. catcher in the rye mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> 
was on a date with a guy once and he was like, I really related to Holden Caulfield. I was like, and we're done, sir. <laughs> I can't with you. Like, this is not going to work. That shit's chaotic. I don't do chaos. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. In 2022, the positive representation is still under attack. There seems to be confusion on what representation means. So for our friends at home, we're going to do a real quick refresh who don't understand. And then you have some talking points for your friends who don't understand also, and you can maybe help course correct. In the context of media, representation is the description or portrayal of someone or something in a particular way or as being of a certain nature. When that description or portrayal is fueled by negative stereotypes and tropes that reaffirm ignorance, there can be real life implications. Wanting to be seen as human, a person with feelings, fears, hopes, dreams, and emotions, and the wish to exist without persecution is not a crime. Asking for representation that embodies the true complexities of being a person that lives within the margins isn't a threat. It's the necessary progress society takes so we can evolve into a better species. John, John. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Can you please tell our friends at home where they can find you if they want to keep up with you? Yep. So um, I say Instagram is primarily where I exist on um, social media. Um, I find it to be the most palatable for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) um, I I mean, I I support that. I follow you on Instagram and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) You'll see tons of great food pictures and, you know, my me going out, being out and about and my little adventures here and there. And I also share my work as as a reporter. Um, So in my bio, I always have my most recent article that I've written um, or the most impactful article that I've written. Um, I do think that I I do do work that um, uh, is important uh, to society. And I'm I'm able to break new ground on a lot of different story ideas. I have a story this week, I think that's running um, uh, about uh, the drag community that I think will be quite eye-opening. You know, the realities that the drag community face. Um, I'm not going to give it away just in case, you know. Yep, just in case um, it's delayed for space or whatever, it's a lengthy piece, but um, yeah. I'm a reporter at the Baltimore Sun. You can find my stuff there. Just Google me, J-O-H-N, hyphen J-O-H-N, Williams, and I'm the fourth. So that's my byline. It's my actual real name. Um, so if you type that in, there are very few. You have to do John hyphen John, because if you do John Williams, it's uh, it's the uh, the the great conductor um, mm, yeah. from Star Wars um, yeah. and Jurassic Park and all those things. That's a different person. Yeah. Um, but John John Williams the Fourth, you'll get me and the Baltimore Sun or just my name. My stories will usually pop up that way. Yeah. And friends, I encourage you to follow John John. He like he said he shares his work with his Instagram audience, and it's always such a it's just there's something about your writing that is so powerful and impactful but yet it feels like it's relatable yes and accessible yes (laughs) and I love that (laughs) and it just makes me so happy and it feels like it feels like this is what being this is what just existing feels like to me if that makes sense you know no no absolutely yep and so thank you that's such a compliment thank you 
So I think what we'll do also is um, a couple of my favorite articles of yours. I think I'll link them in the show notes. So that way people can kind of also take the journey with you. And he's not wrong. He shares a lot of food. So now I know where I'm eating. If I ever make it to the other side of the country, <laughs> but you know, I do travel, I travel a bit. And if you go through or whatever, I have tons of things for like um, the Bay area. I, used to go like before COVID, like I would be there at least like once to twice a year. Oh, okay. Napa Valley is my like happy place. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. Yes. Um, no comment. I just, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love, I love that area and like the food scene. You all have just insane, like you all take farm to table to a different level and mm-hmm. it's so wonderful. And I, yeah, love it. I love farm to table and people, you know, there's like a whole thing of people like whatever mockery of it. And I'm just like, you have never experienced it the right way. Then if that is, if you have a negative opinion, you don't know what you're talking about. Yep. Um, and, and where I am, we have citrus everywhere and it's just, I don't know if I could live anywhere where I couldn't have oranges on Christmas day that were just freshly picked off the tree. Like that's normal. You know what? I'm tired of the bragging now. We don't need to hear it. (laughs) You know, I don't need to hear anything else from you. This this really needs to wrap up. Okay, we are bragging almost done. Right I'm going to extend <laughs> an open invitation for you to come back anytime because I think that I, I think your voice is important. I think it's impactful, and I think that what you have to say about pop culture is um, just really. I'm going to say important again because it's getting late and my thesaurus is slowing it's down. Really okay. But, you know, one of the things that really bothers me is just how much pop culture coverage is still very white. Oh, yeah. And I and we need to see it through other people's lenses. We just have to because we, we just. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is you have an open invitation. I'm going to follow up with you about some of the other titles we talked about to bring okay. you back. <laughs> All right. Absolutely. Yes. Friends at home, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate every time you show up. Follow us on Instagram if you're not already doing that. Like and share and review us on Apple Podcasts. And enjoy, I don't know. I have no idea what to say. I forgot what my, I closed out my sign off. So I don't know what I'm supposed to say right now. But I am going to say this. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.